What's up, Westsiders? How are y'all? It's good to be up from the deep south here this morning to uh, be with our Westside family. Hey, Pastor Doug asked that as, as I start, I just kind of give you an update of what God's been doing over the last couple months. And um, I'll just tell you this. He has been exceedingly faithful, as you guys have seen here over the last, what, seven, eight years now, right? And uh, he has been growing up our core group. He's given us a great group of people. Love them. Love them. You, you got to meet the people God is drawing to that church. Um, and we've prayed all along, God, would you, would you draw people to the church in a way that is only explainable by you? So let me tell you one quick story. Uh, last week, our group went up and worshiped at Harvest North Indy. And um, I get a message this week from a guy who just said, hey, uh, my wife and I happen to be attending Harvest North for the very first time Sunday. We live up in Fishers, but I just got a job in Greenwood. And Pastor Brian talked about the church. I was wondering, could we get together? We're going to be moving to Greenwood. We'd be really interested. And oh, by the way, I went to school with your wife. <laughs> How cool is that? And God just keeps doing stuff like that. And it's been so fun to watch. But we are 105 days away from launch. Not that I'm counting. Um, 105 days away from launch. And, and as Pastor Nate said, would you just keep praying for us? Um, specifically, in the next two to three weeks, we really need to nail down our launch location come September. And God has given us some great, great potential leads there, but just would ask for your prayers as we try to nail that down in June and uh, kind of hit, hit in high gear this summer uh, towards launch Sunday come September. And so, uh, so grateful to join your family and the Harvest family. But if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 15 with me. That's what we're here to do right now is getting God's word together. Genesis chapter 15. And while you, while you turn there, let me just ask you a question that might not be real fun to think about, but it's this. When's the last time you broke a promise? And as I kind of mold on that question this week, when's the last time I broke a promise? There's, there's one blatant one that really stuck out to me, and it happened on New Year's Day a couple years ago. Uh, my wife's family decided that on New Year's Day, it'd be fun to go celebrate the New Year by playing a game of paintball. And so I never played paintball before, but I thought, you know, that sounds like a blast. And so we go to the paintball course, and uh, we're getting all geared up, and I'm sitting there next to my wife, and she says, Brock, you know what's coming. Brock, promise me that if we get put on separate teams, you won't shoot me. And I said, of course, of course, dear. I would never shoot you. She looks back and says, Brock, Pinky promised me you won't shoot me. And so, man, I hate to admit it, I Pinky promised my wife I would not shoot her. And then she says, Brock, kiss the Pinky promise that you will not shoot me. And so now I'm looking around like, is anyone watching this? I kiss the Pinky promise that I will not shoot my wife on this New Year's Day of paintball. So we make it all the way through most of the day. It's the second to last game. We get put on separate teams. The game starts. I'm hunkered down behind this bunker. I'm in a sweet spot. I can see. I got a little spot for my, for my eyes here. I'm hunkered down. I can see through. And all of a sudden, an enemy troop starts to charge my bunker. And so just straight Rambo style, I reverse pivot up. I point my gun, and guess who it is? I got a choice to make here. What do you think I did? 
pop, 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 pop. I mean, she's got paint all over her mask, all in her hair, and I'm standing behind my bunker like, And then I look back at her, and men, come on. That look where they're not looking at you, but they're looking through you. And before I can react at all, my sweet little wife is sprinting toward me, running headlock, and says, you pinky promise, and kissed it. (laughs) And then, no joke, she ran off to her daddy, who who sought sweet revenge on me the next game. (laughs) Broken promise. Light-hearted example of a broken promise. Some of you know that broken promises in your life, you've let roll right off your back like that. Others maybe have left a lot deeper scars. But it is sadly, and, I, and I'm not being cynical about it, it's just kind of the world that we live in, sadly, uh, sometimes it happens where people say, hey, I'll be there and they never show. Or I'll have it for you and they never come. Or I'll do this and it never gets done. And we just kind of know there's this truth when it comes to just talking with some people that when they say something, we just kind of maybe have a little guard in the back of our head that just says, okay, like, it's fine that you said that, but, but we'll see. We'll see if it actually comes about. And we know that this is how we interact sometimes with people, but, but my hope for us today and, and what I hope we can dive in and study today is, is this how we act in relation to what God says? That God's given us promises in his word, promises of what's to come, promises that he's asked us to believe long, long, long before it's things we'll ever see. And I, I just wonder if sometimes we study God's word and we see what he says and we look at the promises and we say, I know I'm supposed to believe that, but man, do I actually believe what God has just promised here? And with that kind of on our mind, we're going to step into a faith journey a guy in the Old Testament is on, a guy by the name of Abram. And God comes to Abram, 75 years old, and he says, Abram, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave everything you know. I want you to leave this land. I want you to leave the people you know. I want you to leave your father's household, and I want you to go to this land that you've never seen before. And Abram, I will make of you a great nation. Now, here's the thing. There's kind of two key ingredients if you're going to be a nation one day. The first one is land. Abram's not seen it. He's going on a journey, believing that God actually has the land. He says he does. The first ingredient to be a nation is land. The second one is this. You need people. You need descendants. And Abram's going, okay, God, like, before we talk about the whole nation thing, I'll I'll just take a son. Let's just start with a family. And God says, no, go. I want you to go on faith. And so Abram goes. And where we jump into his story today, I just want us to know he still has neither of the two ingredients to being a nation. The land is not in his possession. And he still has no descendants. And so we pick this up here in Genesis chapter 15 on the heels of what we find in Genesis 14. In Genesis chapter 14, Abram has just led his fighting men to to rescue a group of people who have just been taken captive, uh, the people of Sodom. And Abram's got some vested interests here. See, his nephew Lot had been captured with this group. 
A lot had left with Abram, and he'd gone on this faith journey. And so Abram comes in, he rescues the people, and then something interesting happens. The king of Sodom comes and says, Abram, listen, thanks for rescuing us. Take all the, take all the plunder. Take all the spoils of war. It's all yours. And Abram says, thank you, but no thanks. And he tells us why. Look back at Genesis chapter 14, verse 22. It says, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. And Abram says, no, I'm, I'm not going to take the rewards. And interestingly, as Genesis chapter 15 starts, God's going to come and God has something to say on the heels of this. And God's going to remind Abram of the promise. And I don't know about you, but before we jump in here, I just want to know how Abram's going to respond. I mean, it's been promised, and it's been promised, and it's been promised, and it's been promised. As God comes once again and says, Abram, it's coming. You've got to trust me. You've got to trust me. You've got to trust me. What will, Abram re- what will Abram do this time? Similar for us, that we live on faith, believing some things that what God says in here, we have to take on faith long before we might ever see it. And how do we respond in those moments? Let's study it together. Genesis chapter 15. Let's get in God's word together this morning. Verse 1 says, after these things, what are these things? The things in 14, the battle scene that's just happened. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your what? What's it say next? Your what? Your reward shall be very great. Really, really interesting. On the heels of what's just happened here, God shows up and says, Abram, I know you've just come out of a battle scene, but listen, I am your shield. A shield, a weapon of defense. God says, Abram, I am your primary defender here. And not only that, Abram, but I'm the source of the reward that comes in your life. I know the king of Sodom's just offered you material rewards. Listen, I have something better coming for you. And Abram says, sweet, what? Right? No. Look at what he says, verse 2. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Abram looks back and he says, basically, God, even if you gave me the whole world, who do I pass it on to one day? I mean, remember when you said you're going to make me a a nation, you're going to give me descendants. And he's told Abram this over and over again. Flip back, go to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And look at what it says in verse 2. This is God calling Abram out. He says, and I will make you a great nation. Go down to 12.7. says, then the Lord Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Over to chapter 13, verse 16. 
says, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. And now God comes and says, Abram, listen, I'm the source of great reward in your life. And and Abram goes, I just still don't have any kids. I'm just looking for the son, Lord. How long, O Lord? When? That God's made this promise and a month went by. And two months went by. And a year went by. And I don't want us to just hear what Abram and his wife are enduring right now. I want us to feel it. That with each passing month, still no sign of pregnancy and they're going, how long, O Lord? How long till we wake up to the screaming cries of the newborn in the middle of the night? And how long until we walk in and see the crayon marks on the tent wall of a renegade toddler? We're still childless. My heir is one of my servants. What's God say in reply, verse 4? God says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Stop right there. I think sometimes in those seasons of waiting on the Lord to make good on the promises he's made in his word, we just succumb to the fact that he won't actually do it. And Abram says, I've, I've just accepted the fact that this will all be handed off to one of my servants. And God comes, no, 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 no. When I make a promise, I make good on it. This man will not be your heir. Here it is. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then he does something so neat. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring I'm going to read that again and we're all going to go that's what Abram would have done and he brought him outside and said look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them then he said to him so shall your offspring be Think about that. God could have said, hey, Abram, trust me, man. I told you you're going to have offspring. Trust me on it. It'll come. And he says, no, 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 Abram, come outside. Come outside. Look up. Count them. Yeah, it's like that. Ever been under the, ever been under the black blanket of the night sky and you looked up and the sky is just blanketed in all these bright stars? I, I remember fourth grade, my dad's like, hey, you want to sleep outside tonight? I'm like, yeah. And so we drug all the pool rafts back to the backyard and we get all our pool rafts set up and we got our sleeping bags and we lay down and my dad, I just, I remember this. My dad's like, whoa. And I'm like, yeah, it's pretty sweet. We're sleep, sleeping on pool rafts, you know? <laughs> He's like, no, 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 look. And I just picture Abram under that nice guy going, whoa. 
God comes and he reminds Abram of a promise. And he says, I, I, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know you can't see it yet. You can't hold it yet. But I need you to believe it long before you can actually see it. That when God in our life, stepping out of thousands of years ago, stepping into today, when God in our life, as we're reading the word, promises us things, there's an aspect where he's saying over and over again that without faith it is impossible to please God, right? So he's saying, I need you to take this on faith, even though you can't see it, even though you can't taste it, even though you can't feel it today. I need you to believe that I'll make good on this promise. And so maybe you walk in here today needing to cling to a promise like one God makes in 2 Corinthians 4.17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Maybe you walked in here in the midst of an awful trial. Health-related, relationship-related, whatever it is. And the promise you need to hear from God today is that that light momentary affliction, you go, it doesn't feel light right now, and it doesn't feel momentary right now, and he's going, I know, I know, I know, I know, but you need to trust me. That one day when you're in my presence and we stand in eternity together, what you're going through right now, that trial you travel through right now will be absolutely nothing in comparison to how good it one day is going to be. Maybe you can't see it yet, but would you walk out of here today just believing it? Okay, Lord. I believe it. Maybe you walk in here today and you feel like for the last five years, someone has just kept shoveling all the shame and the guilt of who you once were on top of you and you walk in with a mountain of this. Would you hear 1 John 1, 9 today that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And you go, even that? Yeah, even that. But even what I did there? Yeah, even there. And even that thing that I've so tried to push out of the back of my mind for so long, yep, the cross was enough even for that. Cling to the promise. You go, but I don't feel that. I know you don't feel it. Believe it. Believe it before you feel it. Or how about all of us need this? 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except that what's common to man. And God's faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So we're all going to leave here on Sunday, and on Monday, we're going to walk into a room of temptation. And we're going to go, man, every time I get in this room, I just, I swear, I just have to sin. Like, there's no way out. No, no, God promises you that when we walk into the room of temptation this week, there's a way out. God, you promise you won't give me more than I can handle. Okay, God, where's the door? Because I'm out of here. You go, man, in the midst of it, I just feel like I don't have any other choice but to sin. Listen, I know you feel that way, but God promises otherwise. 
And there's one really great big promise all of us are clinging to here. All of us are saying, we got to believe this long, long, long before we ever see it. You're going to study it as a church here coming up. How about Revelation 21, 3 through 5? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be no mourning, nor crying, or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. That day's coming, people. It's coming. And we're all going to walk out of here this week and we're going to look at things and we're going to read the newspapers and we're going to see things on our homepage when we sign on uh, to the internet and we're going to say, man, this is not how it should be. You're right. We can't see the glory that's one day coming, but it's coming. And God comes to Abram in the scene. He goes, Abram, 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 no, no, no. Your servant's not going to be your heir. I've promised you descendants. I've promised you a son. I'll make good on the promise. What's Abram going to do here, though? He's been waiting on it and waiting on it and waiting on it and waiting on it. What's he going to do? We find out in verse 6. And he what? And he believed the Lord. And now the Lord does something in return. And he counted it to him as righteousness. Okay, understand something that that verse right there has huge theological thread through the rest of the Bible, right? That what we would expect it to say here is that Abram went and did something. Abram went and did righteousness, and so God looked and said, you're righteous. No, it says, Abram believed. And the, the words used here to communicate this in Hebrew, to, the belief is simply this, to place trust in someone with complete confidence. And so Abram goes, okay, Lord, I'm not holding that descendant yet. I'm not holding that son, but I'm going to live and act as if I already am. I believe you're going to make good on what you just said. This is what Abram does. And now God looks down on this and does something so mind-blowing. He says, righteous. God looks and he says, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. What's it mean to be righteous? To be righteous means we act or live in accordance with a set covenant standard. It means we live rightly and when we live rightly, uh, someone looks and says, okay, yeah, righteous. Now understand how monumental this verse is for Abram, for everyone who's lived in all of history, and for us. God looks down and says, yep, you haven't done anything to conform to a set standard, a set covenant. You've simply believed in faith, and I have justified you. I've declared you righteous based on your faith. How about for us? 
that God sends his son, Jesus Christ, and the standard for all of us to be with Jesus one day in heaven, worshiping him forever, is complete and total righteousness. God cannot have unrighteousness in his sight. He's that holy. That means we all have a problem. Because if you're like me, it only took you driving here to church today to realize, yeah, I don't quite meet up to that standard. And yet God loved us so much that he sent his only son to a cross. And Jesus says, whoever believes in me will not perish, but have eternal life. That Ephesians promises us that we are saved by his good grace through what? Through faith. And I can hear my freshman and college roommates' ear, words ringing in my ears right now. No, that can't be. You've got to do something to get to heaven. No, we, we don't got to do something to get to heaven. Jesus already did it. And when we, to use the definition of this Hebrew word of belief, when we put our trust with complete confidence in Jesus' finished work on the cross, God in his goodness and his love for us looks down and says, righteous. You're like, seriously? Seriously. Why? Because he loves us. And he's made a way for us. And God comes with a promise to Abram, and he says, uh, Abram says, okay, I believe. And God looks and says, righteous. And so the first ingredient of a nation given here, you're going to have a son, Abram. It's coming. Be sure of it. What's, what's that other ingredient you need, though? People and you need land. God says, the promise isn't over yet. Verse 7. And he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this what? To give you this land to possess. Here's Abram again. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So, Lord, you told me, leave leave Ur of the the Chaldeans, come down into this promised land here. But, Lord, uh, here's the thing. I got here, and there's already people possessing the land. God, how do I know that one day you will really give us this land? Uh, Is this the part where I have Eliezer go draw up a contract? Can Can you sign it? Do we shake on this thing? How's this work? And God says this, verse 9. Oh, it works like this. He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Of course, right? Don't worry, it gets weirder. And he brought him all these. He cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Okay, let's just picture the scene here. Remember the question. God, how do I know 
that one day you're going to give us this land. Go get me all these animals. Abram comes back with the animals, splits them in half. He lays half of the animal over here. He lays the other half of the animal over here. The vultures are flying in. Abram's running around like a madman, trying to keep the birds off the dead animals. Imagine the scene. Imagine the smell. Imagine the blood. Now look at what God does in verse 12. It says, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Whoa. Then the Lord said to Abram, stop right now, remember the question, remember the question, God, how do I know one day you will give us this land? Here it is. God's going to tell him exactly what's going to happen to this nation he's going to make out of Abram. And behold, dreadful, then the, verse 13, then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Stop, did that happen? Where? Egypt. Verse 14, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. Did that happen? What? The plagues. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Did that happen? Before God sends the plagues, he just gives the people of Israel favor in the eyes of the Egyptians, and they just start coming and giving them stuff. Verse 15, as for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. Did it happen? For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. What's up with that statement? That God, God says, Abram, yeah, I know. I know this land I've promised you, it is, it is inhabited. It's inhabited by all these ites. But guess what? Their iniquity has not risen up before me yet in such a way that I have to enact judgment. You know, it's time out. So often we look at the God of the Old Testament and say, how harsh, how... Our God has always been a long-suffering, loving, patient God. He gives these ites four generations. Repent. And he says, four generations later, though, your nation will come back and it will enact judgment on these people for their evil. And God tells Abram exactly what's going to happen to this nation that's going to rise up out of them. And then it gets, we'll just see. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a what? He made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So it's dark. You got the animals laying in half with a path between them. 
And all of a sudden, this flaming torch and this smoking fire pot passing between the animals. What in the world is going on here? I don't know. Let's pray. I think God is using what's already in place here, an ancient cultural ritual of how people make covenants with each other. God's using what's already in place for one man to make a covenant with another man. R.C. Sproul, a pastor and scholar, says it way better than I do. Let's read this. To you. It says this, When covenants were made in the ancient Near East, certain rites would accompany the agreement in order to signify that what would happen if one or both parties failed to live up to their end of the pact. One common ritual involved dismembering animals and then laying the pieces in two rows side by side with a path in between. The individuals making the covenant would then pass between the animals and invoke a curse upon themselves if they broke the agreement. In performing this rite, both parties were in effect saying, if I do not fulfill the terms of this covenant, may the destruction that befell these animals also be upon my head. So two men entering into an agreement with each other, they pass between the animals together, basically saying, if I don't keep my end of the deal, may I be dead like this cow laying here. Did you notice something about this text, though? Who passes between the animals? And who else? No one. This church is a one-sided covenant. God says, I will be faithful. Abram, the part of the story I didn't tell you that is this nation will be faithless again and again and again and again. And Abram, I will be faithful to your people. That this is a foreshadowing, foreshadowing of Israel's faithlessness over and over and over again. And God says, nope, I haven't asked you to pass through the animals with me because they won't remain faithful to the covenant. But I always will. And I just want us to know today that maybe there's not a covenant that has happened that speaks directly into our life involving animals being split in two and a flaming torch going between them. But there is a one-sided covenant that has happened that impacts every single one of our lives in here today. And it's a one-sided covenant of Jesus going to a cross. That is a perfect and good and faithful God made a covenant with a faithless and sinful people, Israel. Our perfect and good and faithful God has made a covenant where he sent his son to the cross for a sinful and faithless and broken person like me. And he says that if you will put, my, put your faith in Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. But isn't there something I have to know? Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Once you know him, he'll come and do all the changing and rearranging of your heart that needs to happen. But you don't clean it up before you come to him because you can't. We can't do righteousness. God says, so I've sent my son on your behalf. You can't earn your way to me. I've done it all. 
Now I ask for your life in return. And I just want you to know that if you have never surrendered your life to this beautiful one-sided covenant of a loving God pursuing you through sending his son to pay the penalty for your sin, he has not asked you to leave here and go try to be better. Let me, just, let me just free us of that right now. You can't do it. He is instead through his spirit pursuing and making a beeline for your heart in this room right here today. And he's saying, I want, I want that heart. I want your life. And God's word tells us that we, our response to this is faith. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you're here today and you've never called, don't walk out of these doors until you call on the name of Jesus. And for us believers who know the Lord, as we open our Bibles this week and as we study God's word, and as we come across the great and true promises that he makes, would we go, yep, Lord, I don't see it yet. And Lord, I might not even feel it yet. But in faith, I'm driving the stake into what you've said right here, and I will believe it. Amen? Amen. We pray with me? Father, you are abundantly good to us. And Lord, in, in spite of our faithlessness, Lord, in spite of the fact that we cannot, we cannot earn our way into a right standing with you, Lord, Lord, you've come and you've been faithful. And Lord, we've seen this picture of your faithfulness to the nation of Israel, this one-sided covenant that you make that forever and for always you've said, I will be faithful, Lord, it's the same for us. And Lord, you've given us your son, that we would enter into relationship with him. So Lord, I pray right now in this room that if there is anyone here who's not entered into a relationship with Jesus, Lord, who, who maybe has never understood before that, that getting to heaven, being with you one day, is not about how good of a life we live. It's about what's been already done for us through your son. Lord, I pray that right now you would grip their heart in such a way that they would stop, that they would call, that they would put their complete trust for their life in Jesus Christ. And yet, Lord, we know that those of us here who do know Christ, the Lord, there's this flesh side of us that, that has a hard time believing some of the things you've promised in your word. And yet, God, would you give us the faith to trust what you say over and over and over again, Lord, even when we don't see it for, with our own eyes. Lord, that's what faith is. It's the assurance of things hoped for and the certainty of things yet to be seen. God, thanks for your faithfulness. Thanks that what you say, you make good on every time. Now, Lord, as your people, would we live here and respond in faithfulness of our own? And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.